0: I would invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Genesis 21 this morning. Genesis 21. Genesis 21 together. Think about where you were 25 years ago. For reference, that was 1998. Twenty-five years ago, I was a senior in Bible college. I was looking forward to graduation, and I was thinking about making application to Central Baptist Theological Seminary to work on my master's degree. You see, Fourth Baptist Church in Central Seminary had just moved from North Minneapolis here to this campus, had just built this building 25 years ago. I admired Dr. Doug McLaughlin and the faculty at Central Seminary. That's where I was 25 years ago. However, I was a bit distracted at this time 25 years ago, because it was 25 years ago this week that I asked a girl named Kimberly Minor to go with me to the Valentine's Banquet. How about that? (laughs) And uh, she said yes, and the rest is history. Where were you 25 years ago at this point? A lot of life has happened in the last 25 years And wherever you were and whatever you were doing, think about all that has transpired since then. I've written there at the top of your notes, 25 years passed after God first promised to make Abraham a great nation in Genesis chapters 12 and 13. God repeated that promise in Genesis 15 and then again in Genesis 17 and in Genesis 18 where God said to Abraham I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife will have a son. Genesis 18 verse number 10. And at long last now I've printed there on your notes the time had come for Isaac to be born in fulfillment of Abraham's faith and God's promise. Folks, Genesis 21 is one of the most significant chapters in the life of Abraham. Of course, we've been saying that now repeatedly all along the way. It will be, it will be true again uh, in chapter 22, but we cannot overstate the importance of the fulfillment in this event in Genesis 21. Look at, look at it with me, Genesis 21, verse number one. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. From Genesis 21, I prepared a message titled The Fulfillment of Faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. God in heaven, we thank you so much for your love for us. It gives us cause to sing for your great love with which you loved us has redeemed us, saved us from our sin, and has assured us of a home in heaven. We're thankful for that, Lord. We're thankful for the Holy Scripture. We're thankful for the life of Abraham and Sarah and this chapter before us. We pray now as we read it, as we study it, that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher, that you might instruct us and change us because of our study For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The narrative in Genesis 1 begins with the promised arrival of Isaac, the promised arrival of Isaac, number one. But here, three times, in Genesis 21, verses 1 and 2, it is stated that the circumstances of Isaac's birth were promised by God. Look at the scripture text, look at verse number one, as he said... Look also again at verse number one, as he had spoken. Look at verse number two, of which God had spoken to him. This is the promise foretold, letter A, the promise foretold. Simply put, folks, God made a promise. Repeatedly, God promised that God would give Abraham and Sarah. son in their old age. And when God says he's going to do a thing, you can bank on it. Whether it is God's covenant promise to Abraham or whether, whether it is the blessed hope, the rapture of the church, we can be sure that God will do as he has promised. Of course, the temptation is to doubt the promises of God. And that is a common characteristic of our humanity. It is a mark of this day and age that we would doubt in fact, according to 2 Peter 3, the Bible says that scoffers will come in the last days, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And perhaps you as well have even wondered or doubted if the Lord is ever going to really return for the church. Peter goes on to say, But the Lord is not slack concerning his promise but is long-suffering toward us. And many times when we are impatient regarding the promises of God, th- th- that was Abraham's vice many, many times over again, we are of necessity to walk by faith, for faith, by definition, is trust in God to do what he says he will do, even when circumstances appear hopeless, as in the case of the old age of Abraham and Sarah, or when a long period of time has passed, 25 years has passed. And so while the promise was foretold, it is now fulfilled, the promise fulfilled. Genesis 21, verse number three, and Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. So also she she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children for I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old and there's such joy at the tremendous miracle of Isaac's birth that God made them to laugh in verse number six. Now, Remember, earlier in Genesis 18, Sarah laughed when she overheard the angels talking about her giving birth to Isaac in her old age. But that laughter back in Genesis 18 was the laughter of unbelief. Now the promise is fulfilled. Sarah doesn't laugh with the laughter of derision or disbelief, but rather she laughs with the pure laughter of delight. Abraham then named their son Isaac, which means Laughter. What joy the fulfillment of this promise brought to Abraham and Sarah. Not just because they were old, but because it had fully and finally fulfilled God's promise to them, 25 years in waiting, that they would have a son. Now, let me present a a bit of an excursus for us here for a moment, a, a detour We recognize or we will come to recognize Isaac as a type of Christ. And the greatest picture of this type is when Abraham sacrifices Isaac uh, on, on an altar here in the next chapter in Genesis 22. We'll, we'll come to that in our next study. Uh, the Lamb of God has provided Jesus the Lamb and there's all sorts of connections um, in typology here. However, um, there is also comparison to make between the birth of Isaac and the birth of Jesus. Jesus. I don't have this in your notes, I'll just put them briefly for you before us on the screen. I've I've borrowed from James Montgomery Boyce's commentary on Genesis. He gives seven categories of comparison. First, both Isaac and Jesus were the promised seed and son. And just as God's promise to Abraham looked forward to the birth of Isaac, so all the promises of the Old Testament look forward to the birth of Jesus. Second, there was a period of delay between the promises given And their fulfillments. It was 25 years after the promise given that Isaac was born. It was many centuries after the promise was given that Jesus was born. Number three, in each case, God answered with a statement of his own omnipotence. When Sarah heard the promise of Isaac's birth, she thought, will I really have a child now that I am old? Genesis 18, verse 13. God's answer to Sarah was this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? A statement of his omnipotence. Similarly, when the birth of Jesus was announced to Mary, Mary had maybe greater faith than Sarah, but her question was really about the same. She asked, how can this be since I am a virgin? And what was the angel's response? Nothing is impossible with God. So in both cases, a statement of God's omnipotence. Number four, the names Isaac and Jesus were both symbolic, given before either was born. God told Abraham, Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, meaning laughter. Genesis 17, verse 19. What did God tell Joseph? Joseph, she shall bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. How about this? Number five, both births occurred at an appointed time. For Isaac, God said at this set time next year, according to the time of life, at the appointed time, at the set time of which God has spoken. That's Genesis 17, 21, 18, 10, 18 14, And here Genesis 21, verse two. But what about Jesus, Galatians 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. There's a, another. The births of both Isaac and Jesus required a miracle. Isaac was born to an elderly women, woman far beyond the age of childbearing. Jesus was born to a virgin. And then number seven, both births were a matter of laughter and joy. Sarah laughed, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, did nearly the same thing in Luke chapter one. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Of course, then the angels brought glad tidings of great joy. The parallels are profound, and we will see Isaac as a type of Christ as we proceed in the weeks to come. But go again to, to Genesis 21, verse number nine, And here's what we learn. Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham scoffing. After the promised arrival of Isaac, there's the scoffing attitude of Ishmael. Ishmael, the one born to Hagar the Egyptian. Now, Ishmael is about 14 years old and the birth of Isaac revealed Ishmael's true nature. Now, follow this. Spirituality is not hereditary. But carnality is. And even though that Ishmael had been circumcised, it couldn't change his heart. He may have grown up in a good home, but that couldn't save his soul. And so he mocked the promised seed. And ironically, the word at the end of verse number nine, if you're looking at the text there, it translated scoffing in my New King James, translated mocking in the New American Standard, or laughing in the ESV, it's the very same word used twice in verse number six, translated laughing. Ishmael, Hagar's son, laughed or mocked or scorned the birth of Isaac. However, Ishmael's laughter or scorning or mocking, it was different than Sarah's laughter in verse 6. Sarah's laughter was one of celebration. Ishmael's laughter was a laughter of scorn. Verse number 10. Therefore, she said to Abraham, this is Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman, Hagar, and her son, Ishmael. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. Verse 11, and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Now, look at verses 10 and 11. Keep your eyes there. Notice the pronouns. The, the possessive pronouns that Sarah used in attributing Ishmael to Hagar. Ishmael was her son. Hagar's son, verse 10. Isaac was Sarah's son, my son, she called him in verse number 10. And then in verse 11, Abraham is displeased because of his son, Isaac. Folks, there was great difficulty and dysfunction in this family, this blended family, because of the sin that had brought Hagar and Ishmael into the picture If you pause just for a moment and try to wrap your mind around the family drama that is going on in verses 10 and 11. So what follows here is number three, the harsh answer of Sarah. And this is a tough one, folks. Sarah was witness to Ishmael's mockery in verse number nine. And Sarah despised the threat that Ishmael posed to Isaac, so Sarah demanded that Hagar and Ishmael be expelled from the camp. Abraham was devastated because Ishmael was part of himself and he had presumably come to love the boy, having even hoped back in chapter 17, verse 18, that Ishmael might be the promised seed. But the amazing thing to me is that God took the side of Sarah and declared that she was right. Look at verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the latter, because of your bondwoman That's Hagar. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. What is going on here? Verse 12 there. Someone has suggested that this is a proof text. Proof that God wants husbands to listen to their wives. <laughs> now men, you ought to listen to your wives. But I don't think that's the point of this passage. However, God is telling Abraham, listen to your wife. Listen to Sarah. So then, what do we make of this? Is God in fact telling Abraham to banish Hagar and Ishmael from the family In favor of Isaac? Under inspiration of the Spirit of God, the the Apostle Paul explained the spiritual significance of this very circumstance in Genesis 4. I'm sorry, in Galatians 4. He explained Genesis 21 in Galatians 4. You have to go with me now to Galatians chapter number 4. Galatians 4. We always want to be careful when assigning meaning to an Old Testament narrative, but when the New Testament interprets and applies the Old Testament text for us, we can be sure that it is right. Look at Galatians 4, verse 21. Don't be lazy now. Go with me there. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 21. This is a commentary for us on Genesis 21. Galatians 4, verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law... Do you not hear the law? And this establishes the subject of the context. Here in Galatians, it's the matter of law and bondage, verse 22. For it is written, it, it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman. Who's that? Hagar. The other by a free woman. Who's that? Sarah. OK? So in Galatians 4:22 now, we're talking about Genesis 17, 18, 20, 21. Verse 23 now. But he who was of the bond woman was according to the flesh, Ishmael. He who was of the free woman through promise, that's Isaac, verse 24, Galatians 4, verse 24, which things are symbolic. Okay, what's the symbolism here? Paul says, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. Mount Sinai is where the law was given, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is, is in bondage with her children, that is, under the law. Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, under the law. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all, for it is written. In Isaiah 54, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Isaiah wrote that in Isaiah... 54 of Israel in captivity. Israel was desolate and barren. Paul references it here in this context as the very same plight of Sarah who was once barren but later blessed with countless descendants through through Isaac, all right? Don't lose me just now, verse 28. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, then persecuted him who is born according to the Spirit. That's Isaac. Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Folks, what is this teaching us here? As we study Genesis 21, we read of Paul in Galatians 4. Turn your notes over. And I've copied for you a paragraph that's going to help us. Is something you can take with you. Helps us understand what's going on here. In Galatians 4, Paul refers to the incident in Genesis 21. We just read it. And declares that the whole set of circumstances embodied a remarkable spiritual allegory. Sarah, in insisting that the bondwoman and her son be cast out, was acting far beyond her own spiritual insights. In the light of the New Testament revelation, we can look back and see the underlying significance of it Of it all. Four people are seen playing their parts Isaac and Ishmael, Sarah and Hagar. All four stand in a special relationship to Abraham. Isaac and Ishmael represent two natures in the believer Ishmael standing for the flesh, the old nature, and Isaac for the new. Ishmael was a fruit of the flesh, Isaac was a fruit of faith. This continues. Sarah and Hagar, on the other hand, represent the principles of works and faith, law and grace. The birth of the new demands the expulsion of the old, but the move was up to Abraham, for he and he alone could take the decisive step. Ishmael and Hagar both had to be dealt with, both had to be cast out no matter how painful the process, cast out the bondwoman and her child. It was no longer works of law or law, but faith. That which is born of the flesh must be cast out. There was, no, there was to be no compromise, no middle ground. There was to be complete break with the old nature if the new nature is to envelop and occupy all the believer's heart. Profound Symbolism and parallel, and allegory, and application that the Apostle Paul introduces. We're not making these things up. This is Paul in Galatians 4. Now, Genesis 21 is not meant to be normative. It does not teach us to excommunicate any member of a, of a blended family, you, you, you see, The circumstance in Genesis 21 was unique and what Paul was doing in Galatians was illustrating the matter of justification apart from the law, sanctification apart from the law, but rather by faith in the spirit. So go back now to Genesis 21. Genesis 21. Embedded in these few verses is Abraham's difficult decision. Verse number 12 again, Genesis 21 verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight. Because of the latter, because of your bondwoman, whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your, your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman. That's Ishmael, because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on his shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she de- departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. That's in the, in the far south. Near, near Egypt. I call this the painful action of Abraham. Folks, I hope that your heart is heavy. I hope you grieve as you think of this family. And you think of this separation, the whole situation. It, it doesn't seem right or fair. It could not have been easy. But as Paul wrote in Galatians 4, it, it does picture something for us. But in addition to the the spiritual significance of this, there's also an ethnic and political implication. Just wanna take a moment here, another little excursus, if you will, to speak to the Arab-Israeli conflict. The sons of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac, and that history brings us even to current events in in a conflict that exists to this day. If you turn the page back to Genesis 16, When Ishmael was born, in Genesis 16, verse number 10, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, you shall bear a son. This is the angel talking to Hagar. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction, he shall be a wild man, Genesis 16, verse 12. And his hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. This predicts, Genesis 16, verse number 12, predicts the conflict between Ishmael and every man while dwelling in the presence of his brethren. Who were Ishmael's brethren? Well, it began with Isaac. Ishmael and Isaac, both sons of Abraham. Isaac and Ishmael's descendants then populate the Middle East. Genesis 25 gives us both the genealogies and the geography of the descendants of Isaac and Ishmael, Genesis 25. But since that time, since this time, Ishmael and Isaac and their descendants have hated each other. It goes beyond just a genetic hostility of the Arabs and the Jews. There is religious difference that has fed this hostility in fulfillment of this prophecy. And the big religious difference today between Islam and Judaism is that Muslims believe that it is Ishmael, not Isaac, whom Abraham was told to sacrifice in Genesis 22. They cite the book of Genesis, which says that Abraham was told to take his son, his only son whom he loved, to God. Here's the argument. Since only Ishmael would have been ever the only son, Because once there was Isaac, Isaac wasn't the only son. There are now two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, the argument is. That Muslims believe that it's Ishmael, not Isaac, who was the preferred son. By extension, they believe that it's the Arabs, not the Jews, who are God's chosen people. Do you see how this happens? So for millennia, the descendants of Ishmael and Isaac have been contrary to each other, not just because of genetic prophecy, in Genesis 16, here, but also because of this religious conviction regarding Ishmael and Isaac. Turn back to Genesis 21. Genesis 21, verse number 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, putting it on her shoulder. He gave it to her and to the boy, the boy to Hagar, and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she wept and sat down across from him at a distance of about a, a bow shot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. Folks, we can rightly grieve here at this point for Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant, bondservant that Abraham and Sarah had taken when they went down to Egypt. Abraham's sin with her, the birth of Hagar, the mistreatment by Sarah. This is a sad story. Shame on all of them. But now the hurt and the grief, verse 17, and God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him with your hand for I will make him a great nation then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad to drink so God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer and he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of of Egypt what would you title these, these verses in the narrative I would offer this the merciful aid of God On a purely human level, I can imagine the bitter thoughts that Hagar had. Not only had she been cast out, she had been crushed down. Abraham was, was wealthy. Certainly he could have set her up for life. He could have given provisions for a new life somewhere else, but all they had was bread and a skin of water. But although she was cast out and crushed down, God caught up with her in his mercy And God in his mercy took care of Hagar and her son and Ishmael became a hunter, married an Egyptian. That makes sense. Hagar was from Egypt. And and then God made a great nation from Ishmael. I'd like to suggest two lessons for us. These aren't in your notes. Perhaps there's some white space if you want to capture these. What do you do when you read the the Old Testament Bible stories, these accounts, these narratives of, of circumstances so long ago? I'd like to suggest two thoughts for you to take with you this morning. First, God fulfills his promises and God extends his blessings to people even when their faith is at its lowest. Neither Abraham nor Sarah are seen in their best light in this chapter. Okay, so you celebrate the birth of the baby Isaac, that's great, but then immediately, the division and the conflict and, and such, not a great account, but it's in this chapter that God gave them the promised son, it's in this chapter that God preserved Hagar and Ishmael when they had been abandoned in the wilderness. And I think about us, how about us? I'm so glad that God's promises and God's blessings are available to me even when I'm weak. I'm so glad that God graces us with loving kindness in spite of the messes that we make. Folks, we've all made messes. We have made a mess of things. Don't judge this family. Consider your own family and my family the messes we make and yet God extends his promises and his blessing to us even when we are at low points. You might be at a low point this morning. You might say, Pastor Matt, you have no idea the mess I've made. I feel like I'm in the wilderness, been abandoned. God fulfills his promises and extends his blessings to people even when at their lowest. There's a second principle I'd like to offer you. Number two, sometimes the right things happen for the wrong reasons. Little plan words there. Sarah's unkindness to Hagar and Ishmael is hardly a model for family harmony. It's hardly a demonstration of any grace. Yet God used the apparent injustice. I mean if you feel bad for, for anyone in this case, feel bad for Hagar, right? Hagar's a victim if there ever was one. Feel bad for Ishmael. He's a victim of the victim if there, there is one. But God can use the apparent injustice to prepare the way. You see, it was only after Ishmael was set out that God could go to Abraham and say, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there the type of Christ and that sacrifice. And through the Bible, we can often read of the right things happening for the wrong reasons. Of course, the classic example is Joseph who was sent to Egypt for the wrong reasons. He suffered injustice at the hand of his own brothers, yet God meant it for good. Think of Satan who afflicted Job for the wrong reasons. And yet God in his infinite wisdom purposed to demonstrate that as we walk by faith and trust the Lord, God is good and God has used Job's suffering and, to instruct us regarding our own suffering. Perhaps you're at a low point, you're in a difficult situation and perhaps you're suffering an injustice right now and what has happened to you has happened for the wrong reasons. Do you feel that? The injustice you've suffered is not fair and you've been kicked to the curb or you've been dealt harshly. Know that God is at work God is sovereign. Keep the faith and trust him to bring his purposes and plans to fulfillment. Because of Genesis 21, there is Galatians 4, as we read, and the picture of setting aside the work of the flesh and the bondage of law to that type of Christ, Isaac, who when we come to Genesis 22, you know where this is going, and God calls Abraham to obey in faith in offering Isaac. Of course, then God provided a lamb. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this ancient account of your work in the life of Abraham and Sarah, of Ishmael, Hagar, and Isaac. Lord, these are hard circumstances and difficult things, but Lord, we trust your infinite wisdom and we purpose to walk by faith, knowing that even if there's injustice, even when there is wrong that is done, that you can make all things work together for our good and your glory. We thank you for this in Jesus' name I pray, amen.